Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we have been uh, taking a look at Abraham. Father Abraham, he's got two sons. Actually, he's only got one at this point in the story, doesn't he? And um, we've been just kind of walking through this story chapter by chapter. And uh, today, we come to a chapter where uh, if you have ever questioned God, you've got something in common with Abraham. If you've ever wondered, is God just? Is God right? You have good company with Abraham. If you've ever struggled with God's plans, and it seems that we only find out about God's plans when it's happening to us, right? Um, when we get the news from the doctor that this is what you got and this is what's going to have to happen. When, when we get the news from mom and dad, this is the way it's going down and this is how it's going to happen. When we get the news from a spouse, I don't love you anymore and this is how it's going to be. When we get those words and we re- realize, uh, is this what God has in store for me? And we wonder and we question and, and sometimes we cry out in anger and we shake our fists and we, uh, we speak to God. And did you know that when you do that, it's prayer? You probably don't think of that as prayer, but it's prayer. Because the simple definition that I've heard about God and prayer is talking to God is prayer. So anything that we address to God, whether it be, you know, beautiful, doiled up, these and thous and all this kind of beautiful Elizabethan English. Or if we say, God, how could you? It's prayer. It's all prayer. And don't you wonder how God hears those prayers? I mean, do you think that he likes the ones where it's a, oh, Lord, thou art, you know, and we get our best Shakespeare going on. We get our best King James out and we address God and we're reverent and we're trying our best. Or do you think he responds to those Borderline irreverent prayers. God, why? How? Are you kidding me? Those kinds of prayers. Prayers for average people, I like to call them. Prayers for folks like me. You see, many of us have misconceptions about prayer and we think we've got to say it right or else God won't hear. We've got to have the the right verbiage, the right pronunciations. We've got to get it all put together correctly. We've got to press the right buttons or else God won't hear, may smite. And many are hesitant to pray because of that. This passage of scripture that we're going to look at, it's not even, when you, when you read it, you're like, it's not even a prayer. It doesn't even feel like a prayer. You don't even experience it like a prayer because he's just talking to God. There's no, let us bow our heads and pray. 
There's no, our Father who art in heaven. There's no, amen. In fact, here's an interesting thing. The conversation in this passage is initiated by God. In fact, Eugene Peterson, a great pastor, way uh, amazing man. Uh, he actually was the one that translated the message, did the paraphrase of the message. And he was a pastor in one church for about 30 years in Maryland. And Eugene Peterson, he talked about how prayer is to be response to what God is doing. And if we're honest, when we get the news from the doctor, from the spouse, from the child, from the boss, from the bank... <laughs> And we respond. And we respond to that uh, by talking to God. I think that is sometimes our most honest prayers. Because we are responding to what God is allowing or maybe even what God is doing in our lives. And we respond by talking to him. This is a passage of scripture that uh, Abraham enters into prayer. Talking with God. Talking with the Lord. And it is, a, it is a prayer for the city of Sodom. What? Isn't that a really bad place? <laughs> Abraham prays for Sodom. Now, let's just jump in and read some of this. Uh, in verse 16 of chapter 18 of Genesis, when the men got up to leave, and there, there were three men that came, and they appear to Abraham and to Sarah, and two of them are angels, and one of them is a pre-incarnate Christ, Jesus before the manger in Bethlehem. And when the men got up to leave, two of them got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord, now notice that word Lord in your English Bible, it doesn't show it on the projector, but if you have your Bible open, you will see that that word is in all capitals in most Bibles. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And when you see that, know and you've heard me say this before, know that they are translating the unspeakable name of God. Yo-heh-vad-heh in the Hebrew, which none of you care, or Yahweh. And the reason they translate it as Lord is because even to this day, we don't know how to pronounce it because the Jews didn't pronounce the name. Because they were really concerned about taking the Lord's name in vain. So how do you best do that? Don't speak it. And we think speaking God's name in vain is to say God in God's name in vain. And that's not at all what that is, is saying is wrong. People do that all the time, and it's not breaking that commandment. Breaking this commandment is what they were concerned with. So they quit pronouncing his name. And so if you have any Jewish friends and you go around saying Yahweh, 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 know that you might get slugged in the eye because that's very offensive to them. Or Jehovah, either one. So when you see... All those capital letters for this word, Lord, know that the translators have seen that word there. And instead of translating it into some kind of thing that we can't pronounce and some kind of thing that would offend Jewish people, they put the word in Adonai or Lord. When I was in seminary, we were learning to read Hebrew. We would say Hashem, the name. The name that is unspoken. And so... That's why I know that one of these is the pre-incarnate Jesus. 
One of these three figures is Jesus because they're using the name Yahweh here for one of them. So the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Now, is that a question you ask somebody if you're not going to share with them what you're about to do? Hey, honey, should we tell the kids what we got them for Christmas? Well, yeah, you should totally tell us what you got us for. I mean, that's not some. that's kind of cruel if you're not planning on telling them. And I've done that before. It's kind of fun. <laughs> but God's not like me. He's he's nicer. He's he's good. I'm just a dork. And God says, shall I tell Abraham what I'm going to do? And that begins the conversation. <laughs> if you hear that, what do you think? Yeah, tell me. Tell me what you're about to do, God. How many of you would like to know what God's about to do in your life, in this world, in this country? <laughs> I mean, if God says that, hey, should I tell First Christian Church what I'm about to do? We'd, I think we'd be like, yeah. I mean, come on, tell us. It'd be awesome. It'd be really helpful because we're not so sure. So God kind of teases Abraham a little bit. Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. That is a fascinating passage. Perhaps you're, you didn't catch what's going on there, but it's like there's this outcry about Sodom and Gomorrah. And I wonder who's outcrying against Sodom and Gomorrah. And the text doesn't tell us. But somebody is upset. They're not liking how they've been treated by the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in the Hebrew, the word for outcry means that it is some form of violent oppression. Violent treatment that people have received at the hands of Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's an outcry that is great. It's, 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 a, it's like when you read the word, if the, if the outcry is as bad, like it's a great outcry. <laughs> Does that make sense? It's bad in the great kind of way. It's so great of an outcry that it's reached up to heaven. And God says, I'm going to go down. Did you see that in there? I'm going to go down and see if it's really that bad. I'm going to go down and see if Sodom and Gomorrah are as bad as the outcry. The outcry is here. And God's going to come down and go, is it as bad as the outcry? Or is there a bunch of babies, a bunch of whiny pants that live in the Jordan Valley south of the Dead Sea? And he goes down. What do you think he sees? Guess we got to keep reading. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, the two angels. But, and I, you don't know that they're angels yet, but you'll find out in the next chapter if you come back next Sunday and pray for me next Sunday. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, now here's the prayer. 
didn't feel like prayer, did it? There was no let us bow. Hey, wait a minute. Let me get my pastor. He's the one that's supposed to pray. Abraham said to the Lord, he draws near to the Lord. And he said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? See what he's doing there? I mean, number one, uh, he's, he's bold. <laughs> he's bold in approaching God. He's very bold. He's also smart. Because he knows that he's taking his life into his own hands by coming to God and saying, I'm not sure I like your plan. I'm not sure I'm on board with this. And so he, he couches it. And this is something that many of us could learn. Because there's many times that we see somebody doing something that we don't approve of or we don't like or the Bible says. And instead of being smart in our appeal to them, we just come in and go, bam, thus saith the Lord. And they're like, well, your God says that, but I ain't going to have anything to do with him. And Abraham is busy couching this discussion with God in a way that did you see what he does? He's appealing to who God is. He's appealing to who God is. You are the righteous judge. Would you judge unrighteously? And what do you think the implied answer is? Well, no, he's a righteous judge. Of course, his judgment would be righteous. Would you really treat everybody the same, the righteous and the unrighteous? Would you, would you treat the newborn baby the same as you would the on-purpose sinner who's now 50? Would you treat them the same way, God? Well, no, if I find somebody righteous in Sodom, 50, says God, I'll spare him. We haven't gotten to that part yet, but here we go. The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Now, if you grew up in Sunday school, you know how this whole story goes, right? And there's this exchange back and forth and this bargaining back and forth. Well, what about 45? Because why does Abraham do that? Because <laughs> 50 is a little high for Sodom and Gomorrah. Would 50 be high for Ray? Yuma? Absolutely. Ray? <laughs> if you're from Yuma, we're so glad you're here. Because <laughs> you need to be here. <laughs> So much for winsomeness. Anyways, 45. Okay. For 45, excuse me. Sorry. Sorry to disturb you. No, this is getting a little long. 40. Okay. 40, 30. Okay. 30, 20. Okay. 20. One last thing. 10. Okay. 10. Now, it's funny how this whole discussion ends. May the Lord, in verse 32, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? 
He answered, God answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. (laughs) What? Huh? What is the story setting you up for? I I think the story setting you up to go lower, isn't it? What if just five? What if just one? You see, Abraham, I think, is being insanely creative here with his prayer. He's being very creative in his discussion with God. He's being very theologically creative, which most of you don't care about, but that's all right. I am excited about it, and you can listen to me. He's being theologically creative here because he's thinking, what if there's only 10 people? Could their righteousness be imputed to all the other people in Sodom and Gomorrah? Meaning, for the sake of their righteousness, because they are righteous, because they are living the life they should live. Could they cancel out all of the bad, all of the evil of all the other people in Sodom and Gomorrah? And the amazing thing is God says, yeah. That's a possibility for the sake of 10. I will not judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And I'm just sitting there going, how come we don't go nine, eight, seven, six, five, four? Because, you know, it'd be a boring story by then. And we're like, but I think it's setting up for that. Here's what I think happens. This is why I think Abraham walks away because he knows There is no one. There's not one. It's almost like through this prayer, this give and take Abraham is realizing, you know, as he's playing this out in his mind, let's see here. If if it was my village, if it was my town that was about to be destroyed by the Lord, who would I try to trot out as? Well, these are righteous. These people, they don't have any skeletons in their closet. These people, they've got it all together. Here, God, here's the 10. How about you judge us by them? Any takers on that one for Ray? Anybody want to volunteer for that one? Not one? Not one of you? Okay, how about at another church? Maybe there's another church that there's somebody that we could be, oh, well, he's a, or she's fantastic. Let's trot them out in front of God. And our fate as a town will rest on their righteousness, on their being right with God, on their, and remember, this is pre-Jesus. I mean, he's, he's in the story, but he ain't dead yet, and he hasn't risen from, Easter has not happened. What is righteousness based on at this point in time? If you go back earlier in that passage where it says, should I show Abraham my plans? And then he says, I have chosen you. Righteousness is based on God's choice. Righteousness is based on God's grace. It always has been. And Abraham is the recipient of God's grace. Remember, he didn't start out so great. He was a 75-year-old pagan who worshiped idols in Ur of the Chaldees. There was nothing about him that God's like, wow, that guy's got his act together. If anything, here's a 75 year old man who's got no kids, no grandkids, no prospects. Nothing's going right for the guy. If anything, people would be like, man, you're under God's judgment. (laughs) 
you're a mess up. You're a screw up. Can't believe that God would choose this one. And when I think about that, I think, boy, there's hope for me. If God can pick an idol worshiping pagan from the hill country of Ur of the Chaldees, who's childless and say, you're my guy. And his wife, Sarah, who's barren at 65 and say, you're my gal. There's hope. There's hope. I think this whole discussion, it opens up Abraham's eyes to the fact that there's nobody righteous. I wouldn't put Abraham, I think, goes, I wouldn't stand in the gap for these people. I, 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 I think if God were to say, so, Abe, jump on the stand. Let's see how this is going for you. Okay, uh, can we just blot out that whole line to Pharaoh thing? And can we blot out that whole Hagar Ishmael deal? And, <laughs> and when you sit on that hot seat before God, aren't there a few chapters of your life? You'd kind of be like, could we get the white out for that? Can we just put that on the cutting room? Actually, the cutting room floor isn't good enough. Can we burn it? Get rid of it. Make it go away. So nobody sees. It's like Abraham is looking for a way through the mountains. A way to be righteous. It's fascinating to me that he is praying for Sodom. He knows what's going on in Sodom. His... Nephew Lot, who we'll see in the next chapter, is a leader in the town of Sodom. He lives in Sodom. He, he's actually in the gate in the next uh, passage, which means he's one of the leaders. He's like on the city council. And he pleads with these angels who appear and he says, come live at my house. <laughs> no, we'll sleep out in the open tonight. No, 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 no. You need to come into my house. Bad things happen to people. And perhaps the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is from all the travelers who show up in town and leave. Perhaps the outcry is from people who have visited and weren't treated so well. <laughs> we'll get into that. Now you're like, I've got to read Genesis 19. Lot is one of the city leaders. My guess is Abraham knows just how bad it is down there because he's a neighbor. He probably hears some of the outcry. I mean, if it's bad enough to reach heaven, it's probably bad enough to reach Abe. But did you hear what happened in Sodom last week? And yet he intercedes for them. You ever had those experience watching, I don't know, MSNBC or um, CBS or... ABC or the liberal media and you just get mad and you think, Oh, thank God it's coming. Thank God the wrath of God is coming upon the earth and it will smite them. It's not how Abraham responded. Isn't that interesting? Abraham didn't go, Oh good. They've got it coming. You need to go down there and you just need to kick some butt. Spiritually speaking, in the name of Jesus, isn't that interesting? How come Abraham is so righteous there and not self-righteous? 
A self-righteous person would be like, good, it's about time. Can't stand them. They're disgusting and filthy and carnal and fallen. And Go get them, God. Yes, sick them, get them. That's what a self-righteous person would say. But a righteous person? Okay, God, I know I'm trying your patience. But if you find a righteous person there, if you find 10 righteous people there, would you spare the city? You know, when we have prayer time, we often think about us, me, mine. What can God do for me? What can God give to me? God help me. God bless me. God bless me and mine. God help them. God heal them. God fix them. This is one of the first prayers in scripture and there is no me, my, you in this. Well, there's a you in there. Abraham intercedes for a filthy, disgusting, nasty city in prayer. Do you pray that way? Are your prayers informed by the scriptures, the examples we have of prayer in the scriptures? Are there a lot of examples in scripture for praying for health and wealth and happiness? Is there? Here's a model prayer. You know, I often hear people say, if God doesn't destroy America, Las Vegas, anytime soon, he's going to have to apologize for Sodom and Gomorrah. And I think when I hear that, you're biblically naive and illiterate. Because God is long-suffering. And he does not desire any to be destroyed. He wishes all to be saved. Well, how would he accomplish that? How would he do that? How would he save everybody? I mean, these are horrible, nasty people. They need to be destroyed. What are you? Some of the, one of those liberal preachers who's like, you know, God loves everybody. And at the end of the day, everything's just going to work out. Okay. (laughs) All paths lead to heaven. We all go to the same place. It's really no big deal. You know, if that's what I believe, you and I are completely wasting our time. That's not what I believe, by the way. I believe that everyone spends eternity somewhere. And there are two somewheres. There is heaven. There is eternal existence with God. The Trinity in heaven, in his presence forever. And then there is what is commonly called hell, which is eternal existence separated from the presence of God forever. And as bad as planet Earth is, in places and in spots and in situations, it is not hell. Because God's presence is always present on Earth. There is a place that he is preparing. It says it in Revelation. He's preparing a place. It is likened to a lake of fire. It is, it is likened to, uh, to gnashing of teeth, 
to pain and to suffering. And I think those are metaphorical. I don't think there's going to be just people sitting there going, gnashing their teeth. And I don't necessarily think that people are going to be burning. The smell of sulfur and Dante's Inferno is necessarily the picture of heaven I just, or hell. I think it's just a picture of separation from God. It's going to be bad. You don't want it. And if those are the two choices for all people, eternal happiness and existence with God or eternal separation with God, how do we make sure that we get to be with God rather than separate from God? And did you know the answer appears right here in Genesis 18? It's implied. Remember earlier when I said it, the bargaining stops at 10. And it seems to drive your mind to want to go lower because we started at 50 and it's like, you know, <laughs> this is like reverse auctioneering, right? Who'll go lower? Who'll go lower? Who'll give me one? One, 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 one. You see, there is one. There is one who is righteous. It's not Abraham. If you come back next week, you'll find out it's not Lot. There is one who is righteous and he is the one who is speaking to Abraham in the story. And Abraham did not know this yet, but you and I know this now that Yahweh came and lived among us. He was fully God. He was fully man in the person of Jesus Christ. And he lived among us and he lived a perfect life. He lived a sinless life. The scriptures tell us that he was tempted every single way that is common to you. Every way. Victoria's secret model ads. Yep. He was tempted that way. Greed. Yep. He was tempted that way. Revenge. Yep. He was tempted that way. Jealousy, yep, he was tempted the way. Wanting to kill somebody, could you imagine? Speak a word. (laughs) How cool is that? Not so cool for you and me, but scary for the opponents of Jesus. He didn't. He He even referenced this. He said, don't you know who I am that I could call down a legion of angels? I choose not to. Why? Because he understood. He understood this principle that Abraham understood clear back in Genesis 18. That if there was one that was found to be righteous, the righteousness of the one could be imputed, imparted, put upon, given to all the unrighteous in the world. And the world would be spared. Those who trusted in the one would be spared. Do you trust in the one? Do you trust in Jesus, the one, God's one and only son? Do you trust him? Because one day, you see, we still live in a place that's kind of like Sodom and kind of like Gomorrah. It's called planet Earth. Remember how it got really, really bad where he sent a flood, destroyed everything? And sometimes I wonder, (laughs) why did he make that promise? 
How come he is so patient? How come he is so long suffering? And then I keep reading through the scripture and I I realize he he does not desire anyone to perish. He desires all to be saved and he has made a way for all to be saved. He has made his son the perfect sacrifice so that when he died on the cross, he died in your place. He took upon himself who was blameless, who was sinless. He took upon himself the sin of the world. And if we believe on Christ, the one, his righteousness is imparted to us when he sits in heaven and we come before God and God goes, oh, look, filthy, nasty sinner. And Jesus goes, no, 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 I got this one. I got this. Look at me on the cross. Their sins are on me. That's been paid for because the scriptures say that the wages of sin is death. And Jesus Christ, he bore the wage. He paid the wage, died in our place so that we might have life. Simple question today. Two simple questions. What do your prayers sound like? Is it about me and mine? Oh, bless me. Oh, keep me. Oh, give me. Oh, help me. Or do you, like Abraham, intervene and intercede and plead with God for those who are far from him? Say, oh, Lord, because of the one. Because of the one. Would you bring light to these people? Would you change their lives and beyond prayer? Do you live a life that screams that out, that lives that out, that models that to people who are far from God? Do you spend time with folks who don't know Christ? And three, I guess I had three closing points. Do you know the one? Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you accepted Christ and his work on the cross for your sins? Here's the amazing thing. If you and I understand the gospel, it will transform our prayer life. If we understand the gospel, it will transform our interactions with this world. If we understand the gospel, if we have a deep understanding of the person of Jesus Christ, of the person of God, the father of the person of the Holy Spirit, if we understand how they operate and how they interact with this world, it will transform us. And by transforming us, it'll transform this world. Let us pray. Heavenly father. We thank you for this prayer. We thank you that Abraham cared for those who are far from you. That he just didn't look down a crooked, self-righteous nose. And pray the prayer of the Pharisee. Thank you, God, that I'm not like them. Thank you instead that he prayed, Lord, be it far from you that you, the righteous judge, would treat the righteous and the wicked the same. 
Father, we do thank you that you will treat the righteous and the wicked different. But thank you for reminding us that we are all sinners. We are so bad that you had to die for us. But yet we are so loved that you gladly died for us. So we pray, Father, that we would live out these truths in our prayer life with you. That we would intercede for the city of Ray and beyond. For those who are far from Christ, that our hearts would break, that we would cry out. We would plead with you for their salvation. Holy Spirit, make it so. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May we plead for the city of Ray. Amen.